The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge. Good morning. Thank you, Brew. Thank you. It's good. We'll find. A little double entendre there. Okay, everybody. Come on. Come on in. Find a seat. Any seat. Take a seat. Your seat. Somebody else's seat. Okay. Well, it is so, so good to be here with you today. Um, We will start with our time for prayer of confession. I want to share uh, something that happened yesterday that was so beautiful and a time where God was really honored. We had our grand opening celebration for the Tacoma Coffee Oasis Cafe and Youth Drop-In Center. And as some of you know, this is a journey that started six years ago by uh, some community members reaching out to us and saying, would you be interested in putting a coffee oasis in Tacoma? And us saying, absolutely not. (laughs) And that led to a process of us praying and visiting and talking and seeing the community really come together and make something incredible happen. And, And even with all the support and very generous financial support, very generous, um, support of time and resources, still, uh, it took a work of God. And, and I say that because there was a change of hearts uh, that I saw there. I'm just going to take a little time for us to get this feedback fixed so we can... <clears throat> Are we close? That's okay. You guys are doing a great job. I just know it's like hard for you to hear if there's feedback. <clears throat> this is a time to acknowledge the amazing work of our tech team. Because they, there's no, no, yeah, thank you. There's no embarrassment in this. I, <clears throat> it's just my very electric personality today that is <laughs> causing the feedback. There we go. I'll, thank you so much. Um, so we are uh, finally open in Tacoma, but th- this is something that uh, people who were there yesterday wouldn't know, is that it was the first time that the mayor has come to one of our events. And, and that is because the mayor... This probably shouldn't be on recording, but it hasn't always been supportive of the Coffee Oasis. There's, there was a huge community unrest when there was word that a Christian organization was coming to, to be a part of setting up a shelter for underage homeless youth, and what does that mean? Will they be brainwashing our kids? And, um, and there were some hard seasons with that. And to see the head of the Puyallup tribe come and speak on, like, really in support of Coffee Oasis and see the mayor come and um, really speak in support of it was very, um, in a lot of ways, very tender-hearted. And, and both of them, you could tell it was an environment they weren't used to, which is we started with just a prayer of blessing over the, the time, the space, that God would be honored. And both of them, you could you see just, like, trying to talk about faith, too, which is something they don't get to do often, to be in a space where we really want God to be honored. So I want to share that just as an opportunity. One, go check it out, 
And also just keep praying for the work as it continues there. So let's praise God for that. Um, As we pray our prayer of confession today, I want to um, go back to the last song we sung. And it talks about raising up our hands, that our, our arms are raised. And it talks about surrendering that. When we raise our hands, it isn't just worshiping God who is powerful, sovereign, mighty, so much greater than we are, creator of the heavens and earth and everything in them. It's also this act of surrender. A lot of us don't raise our hands even when we sing, I raise my hands, because it feels awkward. Amen? (laughs) This is a posture where someone can punch me in the face very easily, right? It's an act of surrender. So as we pray, I invite you, if you'd like to, just open your hands. And I want to give you some time just to surrender to Jesus today, to open your hands and say, Jesus, if there's anything you want to teach me, God, see my heart. As the psalmist says, search my heart, know me. Take a few seconds to do that, and then I will pray before we preach. God, you created the earth and everything in it. All this is for you, for your glory. As we live and we move, everything we are, we find ourselves in you. It's the context for everything. And I pray today that we will look to you We won't live our lives looking in a mirror. We won't constantly ask, how do I find my own satisfaction or fill my needs? But we will look to you and like, man, we hear in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Give us ears to hear your truth today and tender hearts to respond. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's our sermon series for the book of Philippians, Joy in the Middle. What are you in the middle of right now? The book of Philippians was written from a prison cell. Paul's life probably looked like it had reached a dead end, but that is now not how Paul sees his life. Paul is full of joy right in the middle of a terrible situation. Paul is a happy heart. Is it hard for you to be happy in the middle of the mess of life? In this sermon series, we will learn the secret of Christian joy in the middle of whatever life throws at you. It's quite a promise, learning the secret of Christian joy. So I want to start with a question that I think all of us can relate with, which is, what bothers you? It's okay, lean in. What really gets under your skin? What rubs you the wrong way? No sleep. No sleep. 
What is that thing that if you start talking about, it is like scratching an itch that you, you know it doesn't, like kind of feels good for a moment and then it doesn't feel good so you just talk about it a little more. You know what I'm talking about? Why is it so easy to vent? So easy to criticize? So easy to, we don't like using this word, gossip. Why is that so easy? Why does it feel like we are being so productive. You know what I'm talking about? You're doing, you're like, we are making things happen. But it is like an itch you scratch. You scratch it and scratch it and all, oh, it's just, it's just, just a little more. So we do it a little more. <clears throat> Jesus calls this kind of talking, this kind of being out in a really funny way in the Sermon on the Mount. And he uses an example of a sliver and a plank. And the plank isn't in somebody else's eye. What we're criticizing, all the things we can pick out and judge, <clears throat> most of that isn't in someone else's eye. He said it's like looking for problems with someone else. But really, you're just trying to pick out a sliver in somebody else because the plank is in your eye. And this is what religion had become in the day of Jesus, and it really is no different now. It has become something where we, we look and we try to find the problems elsewhere. And the problems aren't in mass elsewhere. Oftentimes, the problem can be found within. In Matthew, Jesus says in another very funny example, he says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You're just like, one of, what's the problem with this? I can't get this person, right? And you're like... And you pick and pick and pick, and then all of a sudden, you're swallowing a camel. <laughs> That's what it does to us. We live in an age of discontent. And I'm not just talking about outside the church, I'm talking about inside the church. Does this hit too close to home? We are not known for our loves, but oftentimes we are known for what we dislike. We are experienced social critics. We have fine-tuned our preferences and often curse those who disagree. But in all our refined criticism, the problems persist. They do not change with our picking at them. They do not change with our pointing at them. We find ourselves increasingly displeased, and especially with people. People are the worst, aren't they? people. So, what do we do about it? How do we fix them? Because the problem's them, right? <laughs> I have a friend who has little children, and his solution to this is, if he has two of his kids that are fighting, he literally has them hug each other until they start laughing. They have to embrace we have not tried this, but I'm assuming this probably works in marriage also. Maybe give it a whirl and tell me how it goes. <laughs> you have to embrace until the laughter comes. Well, this isn't quite the example that Paul says or the suggestion Paul gives us for dealing with our problems, dealing with people. But he does reframe it for us. And it is this, when we focus on Christ, the problem looks different. And I'm going to frame that just a different way for our big idea for today, which is this. 
When the answer is Christ, the problem is different. Here again, when the answer is Christ, the problem is different. That is what Paul is saying in today's text. This example, the answer being Christ, making the problem different, works. The equation here works only with Christ. Our problem only changes with Christ. And we get this taking place in many different relationships we wouldn't expect when the gospel comes, when the good news of Jesus comes. We have to go through death to experience life. You get the answer that changes the problem. Well, the problem's death, right? Well, actually, you have to go through death to experience life, right? You often have to go through forgiveness. You really have to go through forgiveness before you get to healing, which isn't the way we want it to happen. I feel healed. I'm not hurt, so I will forgive. Not the way it works, right? We have to go through the process of forgiveness to get to healing. It reframes, actually, the hurt, right? It reframes life when we go through death. It reframes the hurt when we go through forgiveness first in the same way that our problems look different when we see the answer is Christ first. So let's see how Paul describes this to us in Philippians 2. Starting in verse 1 and moving to verse 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If you have any encouragement from Christ. Now, I'm going to remind us, as I do every time, of where Paul is sitting before we engage the text. Because you might think Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Because it confronts some of those scabs we try to pick or itches we try to itch, right? If we don't realize that Paul is in such a hard situation. Paul's in prison. He says he's in chains as he's writing this. His problem seems really clear and obvious, right? But Paul sees his problem differently because the answer is Jesus. And we're going to see that in this. He's writing from prison. He's writing a church that hasn't forgotten him. They continue to give him financial support, and he needs that because in those old prisons, all the needs weren't met. So you literally need, you had to have family, you had to have community, you had to have somebody who was sending you money to support you. And that's what this church that was far away was doing. They had not forgotten him. They'd remembered him because he had spoken Christ to them. Paul is in prison, and yet he is full of joy. His problem was in a different context saw it differently. And it, he saw it differently because of what we're just called this if-then context. There's four things that he says, if, and he kind of assumes these things, if you have experienced Christ in these ways. 
If this is true about Jesus, if this is true about your relationship with him, then you will do these things. And I'm just going to read those four things here really quick again. And I want you to ask yourself as I'm reading them and explaining them, have this been, has this been my experience as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Therefore, if you have had any encouragement from being united with Christ, have you ever had encouragement from being united with Christ? If any comfort from his love, any common sharing with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. I'm just going to explain super quickly what these means, these if statements. And I, I love these because whenever I start reading them, so much storm, so much of the storm in my own heart all of a sudden calms. If you've ever been encouraged by being united with Christ, have you been encouraged by being united with Christ? What he's talking about here is, have you heard the truth? Has the message of the gospel reached you? Has it been to you an aroma of life? Have you been transformed by the power of the gospel? That is what he's asking here. If you've been encouraged by being united with Christ, have you, at some point, been transformed by the power of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do, and that he came to do it for you and invite you into his kingdom? Have you been encouraged in this way? Any comfort from his love? Now, this is interesting. The word comfort here, this is the only time it's actually used in all of the scripture. And I think it's better translated, actually, in the KJV, where it's just comfort of love. Have you received the comfort of, and this is agape, have you received the comfort of God's love? That God pursued you in your sin. That God loved you more than you ever dared hope was possible. That you were worse than you ever imagined, but God's love was greater than you could have ever hoped for, right? That's the comfort of his love. The more you're aware of your sin, only has made you more aware of his grace. That you keep telling God, okay, you're not going to love me now. And God says, man, you think I never considered that? That's the comfort of his love. There's nothing God hasn't considered or known about you, and yet he loves you. That's the comfort of his love. Have you received that? Any common sharing of his spirit. This is koinonia in the spirit. It's the word here. Which just literally means communion or community. Have you had community with God? Has there been intimacy with God through the work of his spirit in your life that shows you, right? This is the work of the spirit that is telling you if you've come to Jesus, you know, a son of, son of God or a daughter of God, that the spirit's telling you you're part of the family, right? Reminding you of that. You try to run away like the prodigal, he's pulling you back, right? The work of the spirit. Communion with God, intimacy with God, and intimacy with one another, if you're a child of God, then you're a part of his family. The fourth if is this. If any tenderness and compassion. <laughs> and the word tenderness literally, and it's translated accurately in the King James Version, is bowels. So if you're constipated, be like, how's your tenderness now, right? It's just a better way to talk about it in the family. It literally here, it is a word that's same for like intestines or spleen. It's your internal organs. But when this was talked about, literally it's talking about this tender affection. Your heart being changed and so it is able to receive mercy and give mercy. Right? There's times 
when we meet with God having sinned and apart from his transforming, breaking through love for us, we would not receive his mercy. We don't think we deserve it, which we don't. But it's this tenderness of God that's reminding you, it is what you've done, it's what I've done for you. Have you received that tender affection of God that allows you both to receive it and to give it? If these things are true of you, if this has been your experience of Jesus, this is what Paul's saying, if this has been your experience of Jesus, which it, this is kind of like what it means to be a Christian, is to experience these things, then, then something else will be true. Then he invites you into the way we live, having experienced those things. But before we do that, I just want to remind you, Paul is a practitioner of these things. These experiences that are shaping the way he sees prison as he speaks. It makes him able to have joy. The first time we see Paul in Philippi, he gets imprisoned. And what does he do? Do you remember the story in Acts 16? He's singing. He's a weirdo, right? What, what the problem is, the answer is Jesus. And so it transforms that experience for him to be able to sing in prison. His heart's changed, and therefore, literally, his life has changed. His surroundings have changed. The way he sees and interacts with the world has changed. And so this if-then is, that if we've experienced Jesus in these ways, then the outcome of a Christ-experienced life is this, that we would be like-minded. And he's not saying like-minded simply with one another. Christianity is not groupthink. It's not the best ideas. It's being like-minded with Jesus. If you experience Jesus in these ways, then we will share, as he says in 1 Corinthians 16, we would share the mind of Christ. Then the way Jesus thinks is the way we will think. The way he acts is the way we will act. And this is... This causes often rebellion in our hearts because one of the chief values of America is autonomy, specifically freedom of thought, right? No one's going to tell me what to think. Well, if you're a Christian, Jesus is for your good and your freedom. Because if Jesus is the answer, you can't keep thinking the old way. Because you're going to be like, well, I've experienced Jesus, but it all sucks. If, if you're experiencing, if the answer is Jesus, it does transform the way you think. And it changes your experience of life. As Jesus, who on the cross even, as we learn in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? So... We become like-minded, not just with one another. Hopefully, we do get to share that with the people of God. But we do become like-minded, first and foremost, with Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's right. And because of that, then it says, then we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We are not self-oriented. If we've experienced Jesus, no longer is it all about me. No longer can it be about me. Because oftentimes we struggle to find answers to our problems because the answer isn't Jesus. Oftentimes the answer is what's best for me. Now, that has to change, right? The answer here, if the answer is Jesus, 
We can't be self-oriented. We have to be Christ-oriented. And if we're Christ-oriented, then we are no longer self-consumed, consumed by self-improvement, self-interest. The world is no longer a world of mirrors we're looking at. Simply, how does this reflect me? But we're literally asking, how does this reflect Jesus? We're not self-oriented, we are others-oriented, and this is how Paul says it. In humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We are becoming others-oriented. Do you have room in your life for other people? Do you? That's a real question. Consider that. Do you see others as problems or people to love? How would Christ treat these people that we are so quick often to dismiss or criticize? If we've experienced Christ and if we are sharing his mind, how would he treat these people? These people that we oftentimes are so quick to criticize. How do we live this others-oriented life? And the answer isn't complex. It's simple. Simple because it is not you do it, you do it better. It is Christ is. It is a Christ experience. It's not finding the way yourself. It is following Jesus. Remember, if then, if you've experienced Jesus, then you do this. There's a word given to this, and it is the word disciple. The disciple life is the word of if then. If we've experienced Christ, been invited into his life, then we live in this way. It doesn't start by trying to do the Jesus way. It starts by experiencing the Jesus life, right? And once we do that, then we're able to walk in the Jesus way. Jesus himself said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It is the act of putting ourselves aside and putting Christ on the throne of our hearts. Now, one of the challenges is that the word Christian and disciple have come to mean two different things in our day and age. They really have. We associate the word Christian oftentimes with attendance. I come here. I go a place. And the word Christian with association. I'm around these people. Are you Christian? Well, I go to a place. Go here. Go to a church. And I associate with Christian people. And if, if we swim in that water, if we share that space enough, then we must be a Christian. I think of um, one of my heroes, we can talk more about this if you're interested, you want to find out more about this guy, Keith Green, amazing guy. He said, you can no, no more become a Christian going to church than you can become a hamburger by going to McDonald's. Right? It, this is, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you do share in the fellowship of believers. But it doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Becoming a follower of Jesus isn't if then. If you're experiencing Jesus, then you're walking in his way, right? You're following him. Christian disciple should not. They should be overlapping circles, right? They're not even just sharing things. They should be one and the same. They cannot be separated. Jesus' great commission is this. Go make disciples, People who are actively following 
Jesus if you've experienced him. If you've been transformed by his truth, if you've heard the gospel and responded to it, if you have experienced the love of God. See, these aren't just rules. They're not just going, do, do, do. It's going, man, have you, have you heard the truth? Have you been transformed by his love that God loves you, right? If, if literally you're able to receive the compassion of God and then give the compassion of God. If you've experienced the fellowship, the intimacy with God himself through the spirit and fellowship with one another because of that, then what do we do? Then we are no longer self-oriented people. We can't, we can't be self-oriented people. We miss out if we're self-oriented people. We become others-oriented because that is the way of Jesus. And if we are Christians, then we are disciples. Or if we, you can say it both ways, or if we are disciples, then we are Christians, followers of Jesus. We're just walking in his way. What we experience, then we go and share. That is what Paul is saying. If the answer is Jesus, the answer being the experience of Jesus, what he said, what he did for us, and we're living in that, then our life changes. Whether you're in prison like Paul, or whatever you're experiencing right now, that will be shaped and changed if you've experienced the encouragement of Jesus, right? If you've been transformed by his love, if you've experienced communion with him, and you've received his tender mercy. Amen. Pray with me. Father, I pray that as you sent your son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, not to have the not to be served, but to serve, that we would today even hear your invitation. We would say yes to you serving us through these experiences. The transformation that comes by hearing truth, knowing your love, receiving your mercy. If this is true of us, and I pray it is, that, then I, I pray that you will help us be others-oriented. Not even coming here and asking how can I be helped or served or cared for more, but how do I turn and care for these? How do we go and invite others to know Jesus? That is the way of Jesus, God. By your spirit, I pray that you will help us understand to live these truths. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen? amen. Guys, this was an encouraging one today. This wasn't convicting. Come on, give me a better amen. 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 Okay. In a lot of these truths, we're going to, if then, if we, if we take... These truths to heart, if we believe them, then I invite you to take communion with us. It is a declaration of our faith in Jesus, the Jesus who didn't remain dead, the Jesus who is alive, and through his spirit we experience, even today, 
as his people. And we invite you to take that by taking the bread, which was the body of Christ broken for us, and the cup, which is the blood of Christ shed for us. We also invite you to be prayed for. If you would like that, if you're needing freedom, don't know how to pray for it yourself, Abraham is over there. You can kind of circle around Sarah and find Ibrahim and then worship with us.